Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. This is Mitchell Davis, host of Taste Matters. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, joining you from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is episode 59 of our show. I feel like we're getting up there. We're getting close to 100. A big congratulations to Heritage Radio for being shouted out in AM New York, which if you are not from the New York area, I'm sh- uh, if you're from a metropolitan area, I imagine you have a similar free newspaper that is given out generally at the transportation hubs in the city. So we, you get off the subway and there are people handing out two papers that compete with each other but basically tell the same story. One is called The Metro and one is called AM New York. Heritage Radio Network had a big feature in AM New York, so I'm very, very excited to welcome all the new listeners who found us via AM New York. That is very exciting. Our own producer, uh, sorry, our own engineer, Jack Inslee. His show is called out Gunwash. Congratulations, Jack. Woo. So that's that's our big order of uh, news. The second order of news is that I have a new um, renegade assistant producer who's going to work with me getting this show up to the next level. Her name is Anne. Hi, Anne. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. So Anne um, has agreed to come aboard the pirate ship, Emily, which is anyone who has worked with me in the past, like the person who made my logo, my friend Mike Marwit, MikeMarwit.com, brilliant graphic, graphic designer, <laughs> uh, and other people in my life know um, I don't make a lot of money yet, but I plan to make a lot. And so like a pirate ship pulling into Boston Harbor, I have offered Anne um, ground floor access to Sharp and Hot Industries uh, with the promise that when we hit it big, she gets a big cut of the, sh- uh, you know, of the, the spoils. I'm in. And I'm she's ready to go. She's doing it with me. <laughs> so she's going to help me keep everybody organized. Uh, case in point, this uh, afternoon's guest, Karen Mordecai, author of Sunday Suppers, was going to be on the show with me for the first segment. And then um, I failed to confirm with her publicist and I just got an email back that in fact she's not going to be able to make it. Anne has promised me that she's going she's excellent at making sure these things don't happen because it's clear that I am not excellent at these things. Let's just hope I didn't I will not overpromise underdeliver. We will get <laughs> the next guest in for sure. I promise. And so um Anne's gonna come on and help with questions. She's gonna post some things to the Twitter feed and um be my all around I think you like Renegade. Yeah, I think that sounds. I mean, I'm into it. I'm into it. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) And so we're going to start since we have a couple of minutes and we don't have Karen joining us. We're going to start with Jack, who has a question. Jack has recently moved into his apartment um, with uh, his lady companion. Is that too much information? Am I allowed to say that? No, that's fine. Okay, so it's the first like a real like grown up experience without roommates, other than someone who, uh, you know, he shares more than just a bathroom with <laughs> and he's got a kitchen that he needs to fill and so jack said i have a really dumb question that i'm embarrassed to even share with you and i and we said it's really not that dumb a question so jack go ahead yeah well i went to make soup last night and then quickly realized that wasn't going to happen because i didn't have a blender um but then i thought well should i buy a food processor or a blender and what would the different applications for each be so what kind of soup are you making 
Um, it was going to be a squash, a red curry squash. And you were looking for that smooth consistency. Yeah. Okay. So if you were making something, this sort of goes without saying, but let's say you wanted to make a minestrone, you wouldn't need a blender because everything would be left chunky and you could make a curry, you know, a squash curry soup and let the pieces still be chunky. But if you want that smooth consistency and it being 20 degrees overnight tonight, it's soup. We are firmly in soup weather territory. (laughs) You want to use a blender for, to get that smooth, uh, consistent um, puree all the way through. And if you look at the engineering of a blender, you'll see that it creates sort of a vortex where the liquid is pulled down into the into the blade so that everything gets pureed and made smooth. Um, you can see it happen if you have frozen strawberries and ice cubes and a banana. Everything will get pulled through the middle and evenly smoothed out. If you use a food processor, it's not designed to create that kind of vortex. It's more of a chopping machine. So if you make a salsa, you'll see that what's on the bottom layer will become liquefied. But the centrifugal force of the blade pushing everything out will send the heavier bits of uh, carrots and onions up the side of the bowl. And so you'll have to use a rubber spatula, stop the blade every once in a while, use a rubber spatula, scrape everything down. You could theoretically get there. But I think what you really want is an immersion blender, which is like a wand that has a spinning cutting blade on the bottom that you plug into the wall, and then you put it into your pot of soup, and you hit go, and it spins inside the pot of soup. The biggest danger in using a blender to make a pureed soup is the heat when you transfer the soup from the hot pot into the blender and then you hit go you can create an explosion of hot soup all over your kitchen i have actually done this with gravy not realizing what i was doing the physics of a hot the dave thomas on cooking issues is more uh, apt to talk about the physics than um, this than i am dave arnold dave arnold I think dave I thomas is the wendy's guy oh and i thought he was the english muffin guy <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> Dave Arnold. Sorry, Dave. I heart you. Uh, But in terms of physics and science, he's much more going to be able to explain exactly what happens. But I do know it has something to do with the convection and the speed of the blade and the heat will pop the top of the blender right off. And if you are not careful, um, you will burn yourself. And I did that with gravy one year leading up to Thanksgiving, and it was not fun. So immersion blenders go from super, super cheap, like under $20, to fairly expensive, you know, branded Cuisinart or KitchenAid, but they have a removable um, bottom half of the wand that you could then put into the dishwasher. The cheapo uh, Hamilton Beach one that I've had has lasted for over a decade, and I, whenever I use it, I just run it under the sink and wash off whatever I cooked with. But you can't submerge it because the two pieces, the electrical piece and the cutting piece, don't come apart. But if you only want to spend 20 bucks that's it's simple enough the other thing that they recommend doing is putting um some hot water and soap in a quart container and then putting the immersion blender into that pureeing your hot soapy water and then rinsing it off which Mm -hmm. is your other option but i know what you secretly want jack is a vitamix that's really what i wanted yeah maybe vitamix is listening maybe they'll send you one yeah hint hint i'm (laughs) here I'll chill for you. And he engineers so many of these shows and will so come many. on and talk about how amazing their product is. I'll wear a Vitamix shirt everywhere <laughs> I go. So let's see. I had another revelation with my husband this week. I tried to get him to um, 
record this for radio, and either he didn't or he wouldn't. I couldn't quite tell which this morning when he was leaving for work. But I said, uh, in response to a listener question who asked, in what order to purchase and buy vegetables when they're only going to the market or the farmer's market once a week or so, I gave some advice, which was... Eat, buy whatever you want and then eat the leafy tender mm. things first because they're going to go south first sure. and then leave your rootier, heartier kale, broccoli, that sort of stuff till later on in the week or even midweek and then things like cabbage last forever in the fridge. And my husband was listening and he was going to sharpshoot me and say, no, it doesn't. Except that he pulled out a head, half of a head of cabbage that's been in our refrigerator for at least three weeks that was the last time i know we went to the farmer's market and we may have actually bought it the week before and it was fine i have half a head of cabbage in my fridge right now how long has it been there it's been there probably a week and i think it's i think it's still gonna be good i'm very excited about this now is it wrapped in plastic it's wrapped in tinfoil Maybe less so, but it'll really? probably be okay. Well, because you may, I'm interested to hear. Will you tell us what happened? Okay. Because yeah. um, the tinfoil may oxidize on the cabbage. So if you open it, it could have turned some like really uh, bright, bright blue is possible. Wow. Like if you put, um, when you make pickles and you add whole cloves of garlic, the okay. vinegar will oxidize the garlic and the garlic will turn blue. And I'm wondering if the aluminum foil may have the same effect, but I'm not certain about this. I feel like that's something I get confused about a lot, or just kind of like that internal battle. Like, do I put you in tin foil? Do I throw you in plastic Tupperware? Like, never really knowing which oh. should go in which. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. Um, anything that's going to go back into the oven... Okay. Top with tinfoil. So like leftover mac and cheese, leftover uh, lasagna, things like that. If you're going, if it's never going to see heat again, mm-hmm. I usually use plastic. Okay. So half an onion, half an avocado, things like that. Plastic wrap. I'm trying to think of uh, exceptions to that. I guess if it was something like macaroni and cheese that I needed to store for a while, like, I feel like tinfoil, aluminum foil, is a short-term solution. Whoa, I am blowing my mind. <laughs> I am just, I was always, this is news to me. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I welcome feedback from the listeners if you've had different experiences. I always use aluminum foil as a short-term storage unit, especially if it's going straight back into an oven, like wrapping a slice of pizza or something uh, like that, whereas Plastico long-term storage and would that be the same for like tupperware like in case you don't want to use the plastic yes i mean i i just bought myself brand new tupperware it was on clearance because it was the rubbermaid summer color collection nothing wrong with that and it's the same exact stuff and now i know which lids go to which bottoms because they are teal and not red like every other container that rubbermaid makes and they i know you're supposed to snap the bottom i'll tell you if somebody wants to start a kickstarter that i will get behind it's please solve the how to keep the lids and the rubbermaid and the, the tops and the bottoms together in a drawer it's the bane of my existence. Yeah, I think that a lot of people could could identify. Martha sure. says to buy all the same brand. That if you have all the same brand, they will all nest and they will all be interchangeable. I have not found this to be true. I don't know. I have like a lot of like yogurt containers and like old, like just kind of like recycled Tupperware. So I don't think that would work for me. And this <laughs> is something that I struggle with in my own kitchen is what do I keep in terms of reusable containers? And what do I yeah. pitch? So Talenti ice cream... 
excellent containers. Yes. Excellent yes. containers. The problem is that they last so well that I eat far more ice cream <laughs> than I need a container. But I, every time I recycle one, I feel like I'm losing like a really good tool in my kitchen. Um, our supermarket, a shout out to the shop right in Cedar Knolls. Mm-hmm. They have the, what's called the Village Food Garden. And James, my son and I go there on Fridays. It's our lunch day. And he eats sushi. And I put it on Instagram. And they followed me on Instagram, which I felt like I've arrived. My yeah. supermarket follows me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're at the, in their hot and cold buffet area. They have really, really nice to-go containers because people are traveling back to their office buildings or whatever. Right. And I take them home and try to reuse them. I, what I wish they would provide, and maybe they do, and I just haven't seen it, is a solution where I don't have to decide that whether or not I'm going to reuse it. Like a plate that they could take back and wash, like mm. a la Ikea. But now I am in the situation of having a drawer half filled with Rubbermaid, which was the brand that I just was like, okay, that was on sale. That's what I've committed to. And follow the Martha path. And then Talenti containers, ShopRite containers. And it's, it's, it's annoying. And I also have like real, um, uh, not real, what you use in a commercial kitchen, pint and quart containers, like sure. you get your wonton soup and takeout, exactly. mm-hmm. but not with the hole popped in the top, which is usually what the delivery guy does to yes. let the steam out. And so then I have those and then the, it's just, it's such a mess. And I want a Kickstarter campaign to solve my problem. I think it's a great idea. I actually, um, so I live with my partner and... I have to throw away the Tupperware like when she's not home because uh-huh. she gets very attached. She's like, well, we could we could reuse this. Like, what? We can just throw it away. And so I have to like secretly clean out our <laughs> cabinet of like the used nut containers and stuff like that. So it's like, we got to do it when she's not home. <laughs> I bet there's a lot of people who do the same thing. Yeah. Like, I do this also. <laughs> I keep guilt. all of them. You keep all of them and does your lady throw them away when you're so, not looking? We do it to each other, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like Sometimes I'll throw out one she saved and then vice versa. Now, Anne, you mentioned yogurt containers. You keep okay. yogurt containers? Short, like the big ones. Okay. Like the big old... See, that I would not keep because it's printed. It's got like branding on it. And then every time I look in the refrigerator, I'll just think, oh, I have some Stony Hill yogurt. When what I really have is coleslaw. Yeah, we that we ran into that problem um, a couple of weeks ago with a cottage cheese container. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, um, okay, wait, this is a quick one. So <laughs> I had a yogurt container and I brought my lunch uh, into work and it was... I don't know, it was something, whatever. And uh, a co-worker of mine was, like, very into recycling her Tupperware. Um, and she took it out of out of the recycling bin when I was done with it. Um, and she took it home and washed it. Okay? That's intense. And then, um, maybe, like, a couple of weeks later, um, she had brought it to work. And I thought that it was my old yogurt. So I tossed it. And she, like, ran into the office. She was like, who who threw away my tuna? <laughs> Like, it's the one that said Anne on it. And I was like, what? what? So <laughs> Is her name Anne also? No, no. She was just using my, my old Tupperware. So that's, that's another level. That's hardcore. <laughs> I, I have stopped myself. I feel like the line for me is, do I wash gallon bags that I've, like, had frozen bagels in? Or right. even, like, things that like things that I have not used oil in. Like, if you've yeah, used, yeah, yeah. A, you know, if you put salad in there and it's got oil on it, then the oil does something weird with the plastic and bonds in a way that I feel like you'll never really get it clean again. But if I just have, like, sesame seeds in it, should I wash the gallon plastic bag? And the answer is usually... send your emails to chef emily at sharpenhut.com the answer is usually no it's no because i feel like i don't know that's like where i draw the line on what i'm willing to wash and it's even more so because where am i going to dry it 
if I had a drying rack for pla- inverted plastic bags, then maybe I could see. But there are two of these in my drying rack right now. <laughs> hitting close to I home, feel, Jack. I feel like we're having a therapy session. Yeah, yeah really. This is like sharp and hot therapy. I feel like I'm I'm asking the questions of myself out loud to make you all feel like this is a warm, safe environment to ask your kitchen struggles. Yeah, totally. I feel safe. Yeah, Me too. guys. I have a gallon Ziploc bag. It's open on my knife rack. It's actually like it's like just, it's drying there. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. So, so you guys are both on the you wash them <laughs> side. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm gonna be honest. I try and do it, okay. but it's like sometimes. Yeah, you're like, where am I gonna put this? Like, what am I doing? And you yeah, can't yeah, put yeah, it back yeah. in the box. And no. you know, if it's fr- so, what I try to do is label it bagels. And then remember that I have it, which almost never happens. And then I end up with two, and I'm like, oh, I already had that bag. And then uh, I just find that if I just throw it away. Maybe somebody will have a good idea on how we can I would love to hear it. That's a, you know, I will say Jolie Kerr is coming back. She wrote, uh, my boyfriend barfed in my handbag and other questions you can't ask Martha. She is coming back (laughs) on January 6th. And we are collecting New Year's resolution cleaning suggestions. So, I, listeners, if you want to start tweeting your New Year's resolutions out to me, I would love to hear them. Yeah, Mine might be to start washing my plastic bags. I'm going to listen intently until then. Okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> I feel like I have a lot of, I feel like I have a lot of resolutions. I just, I, my 35th birthday was this weekend Yay. and I feel like I'm starting on the uh, second third of my life and um, I have a lot of resolutions to take care of. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, the Cheese Grotto c- uh, creator, Jessica Sennett, will be here to tell us all about the Cheese Grotto. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com.
Welcome back to Sharp and Hot, everybody. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, joining you from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brick. Brooklyn. I, you know, I stumbled over Brooklyn in the first intro, too. Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is a very, very chilly day here in Bushwick. Everybody is all bundled up. And sitting out in the restaurant while we were doing the first segment is my guest, who's joining us in the studio now, Jessica Sennett. We have a mutual friend in landlady frontman, Adam Schatz. And Adam emailed me and said, you have to get Jessica on because she's doing this Kickstarter called a cheese grotto and i looked at your website and i was like this is awesome and my the listeners of the show will love this so jessica oh, welcome hi hi yeah How thanks so much for having me today so tell me about the cheese grotto oh yes well um this is something that i've actually been working on for i would say over a year um i'm have a background in cheese making um and also in cheese retail so I've kind of seen, you know, from the pasture to the cave to the actual retail environment, what it actually takes to maintain cheese in its quality state. Um, and I've done a lot of uh, philosophizing about this um, in general, um, been thinking about it. And mostly um, something that I have found in talking to fellow cheesemongers, um, one of the first questions that you always get is that, how do I best store my cheese? What should I do when I bring it home? Um, and there's a lot of anxiety about it, I found, as well. <laughs> um, there's the cheese drawer, right? In our Kickstarter video, we have the drawer, and you know we're opening it, and there's this moldy, dried piece of cheese inside. Welcome to my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, mostly we want to take... We want to give cheese the respect that it deserves. Um, you know, we think in a lot of ways at Cheese Grotto that it should be respected like a wine in terms of the the way that you store and the way that you taste it. But we also don't want people to be intimidated by that at all um, because cheese is a very common medium. Um, we're all eating it. So the Cheese Grotto itself is something that actually has an, a humanor system, um, an airflow system, and it has... Like, like you would keep cigars? Yes, there so, is a similarity So you brought that. it here. It's, I would say, what is that, like nine inches, ten inches tall by Good. eight inches or so wide by nine inches or so deep. <laughs> it's bamboo, yes? Yes, it's, um, we have three different materials for it. It's bamboo, um, which we really wanted to tap into the rusticity factor as well as the more contemporary factor of how people have a relationship with cheese. So with the bamboo, um, bamboo is extremely water resistant um, and resilient. Um, it also reflects a lot of the type of cave development and what people are using in caves, um, um, aging on shelves. Can I ask um, you to clarify something? Yeah. When... In modern times, when we say caves, oh, yes. are we talking built into rock, you know, like underground, dark cellars, or are we talking something more modern, like a wine cellar is not necessarily like under archways underneath a castle? Oh, yes. Um, I would say in the modern era, um, a lot of people, a cave is essentially an environment that has a certain humidity level um, that ranges between 80% and 98% and get ha, pretty wow, humid. Okay. Um, it is, um, has a controlled um, environment that ranges from anywhere from um, late 40s at Fahrenheit degrees um, to you know, mid-50s. Um, and it's something that provides a certain amount of airflow. 
So the airflow is really important. You're getting an air intake and an air outtake with cheeses in general. Um, cheeses are live. They have bacteria and enzymes in them, and they're a breathing component. Um, so because of that, they also need to have um, access to oxygen um, during their aging process. So um, caves nowadays can be something that are the traditional. Um, people sometimes find these awesome sides that it's the you know the rock and they just drill right into it and make this cave um or what they can do is they can control that environment um by altering the temperature level by increasing humidity um through having certain types of piping available on the sides of the walls uh, and the airflow is something a lot of times people call uh, they will uh, build these Pipings that go on the top um, mm-hmm. that basically exchange the air from the outside. So, so you've taken that system and shrunken it down to a countertop version. Yeah, essentially we have. Um, this one here is a passive model, so it doesn't have a certain amount of... The temperature control is really up to you. Um, okay. If you want this to be something for the fridge, which um, a lot of people do store their cheese in the fridge, and this is something that would be perfect for the fridge as well as somewhere that was a cool cellar or in a cupboard not Um, your counter the counter you can um the one thing that we specify is not to put it in direct sunlight okay um just because the cheese does not really like to be in direct sun Right, right um but essentially we're taking those basic ideas of airflow and we're and humidity and we've designed this product that will extend the shelf life of your cheese in the fridge or outside of the fridge in an environment that has the uh, temperature between, you know, 40 to 50 degrees. So um, this model right here is, is a passive model, but it's, it really does, it really does help. You can actually age certain types of styles in your fridge. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. So for DIY people, it's great. But if you're really just interested in preserving your cheese for the longest period of time, this is the other this so how long are we stuff. talking compared to the drawer? My husband, uh, I'm guilty of it too, but he more so, he's going to kill me when he hears that. We're both guilty of it. Going to Murray's <laughs> or East Village Tea Shop and spending $100 and then bringing things home and then kind of hoarding them because we want them to, because we don't live close by and we want them to last forever. And then we forget that they're mm-hmm. there and then we come back and they're like cracked and inedible and no longer, they no longer look like the cheese that we bought. Yeah. No, so how well, long, how long will this save us from ourselves <laughs> yes well i think um a lot of people don't realize that for the f- the firmer styles of cheese i mean you could have a shelf life of six months to a year even um, after it's been cut even after it's been cut um uh-huh. and it's really just about the way that you're storing it um every different cheese has a different moisture level so you have a cheese that's something that's you know a high moisture bloomy rind style um bloomy rind is like in a brie Mm -hmm. Um, the white powdery yeah that outside which is going to be a higher moisture one so something like that has a a shelf life that's somewhere between you know uh two two months to three months um if you really take care of it well um then you have something like a parmigiano reggiano which I mean, that thing does not have much water left in it. The way that it's been made is something that's concentrated the fats and proteins um, so that it'll really last you for as long as you need. Um, and that's really where cheese making comes from. It's a preservation technique. It's about concentrating those fats and proteins in order to, you know, extend the nutritional value of what it is that you have. So, um, so yeah, I mean, depending on which one you're looking at, I would say that 
if you were just able, if you're just throwing something in the fridge and you're not really looking at it, it can start to go off. It can start to pick up different types of things in your refrigerator um, and become a dried, cracked piece of cheese within a few weeks. Whereas if you put it in the grotto, it's going to last you half half a year to a year. So wow, um, that's incredible. Okay, so yeah. now this is not <clears throat> excuse me, this is not currently available on the market, right? You have a Kickstarter campaign backing yes. this. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> that's where we get, we get to the Kickstarter. <laughs> this is a, a pinnacle moment for us. Um, it's very or pivotal, perhaps is the word. It's a very exciting time. Um, we are really releasing this idea onto the market um, and. If you look at what's out there, there isn't much else, um, which is why we see that this is actually something that's needed, and especially for cheese lovers all, that are all out there. Um, and I know there's a lot of you. Um, so right especially now... listeners to this show, no. We, we are a family of cheese lovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so right now, we're really at that, that phase where we need to um, get some backing so we can get into operating mode. Um, what we would love to do is we would love to engage all cheesemakers in our project. Um, we're, we have prototypes. We have production line that's available on our Kickstarter. Um, and we want everybody to, to use it, and we want their feedback. Um, so that's really an, an important component of what we're doing um, is the community that we're building around the product itself. Um, so... I definitely encourage anybody who's interested in cheese. Um, we have uh, two different models that are on our Kickstarter campaign. Um, one that is a traditional um, cheese safe, which is offered at the lower price point, And that's actually um, a wooden structured uh, product that has ventilation screen, something that's been used in Europe for you know thousands of years um, and is used outside of the fridge completely. So that's something that we're actually really excited about um, in terms of working with cheese counters across America. Um, we've already had some really great feedback. And it's really, at this point, just being able to get to that level. Um, you know, we're, we're a community of craftspeople, and we're doing this in a more DIY fashion. But, you know, we know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing cheese making and all this for, you know, almost a decade. So so in that yeah. community spirit, you're having a launch party on Friday night in New York City? Yes. So for the New York oh, City well, listening area. Brooklyn, actually. In, of course, yeah. it's in Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay, so for the NYC, <laughs> greater New York starts. City listening area, what are the details of your party and what will people get to experience? Um, so the party is actually really been blowing up recently so um we've been adding some more um sponsors to it but what it is is a guided cheese tasting um it is a event that's open to the public with suggested donation to the kickstarter um we're going to have live music from adam schatz we're going to have a spread of different cheeses from a multitude of local companies that are coming out to support what we're doing. Um, it's been seen as a revolutionary product in the cheese community and something that is needed. Um, we're going to have pairings for that. So places like Mass Brothers Chocolate is coming out. Um, we're going to have, you know, bread. And what we're going to do is also unveil the product that you're seeing 
in front of you. I feel um, so privileged yeah. that I get to see it. And all the listeners are like, what does it look like? I know. <laughs> go to the Kickstarter, then you'll know. I just tweeted um, out the link to your Kickstarter, too. So if you go oh, to cool. twi- uh, Twitter at Chef Emily P, you'll see the link to the Kickstarter campaign. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so um, we're going to have all of that going on. We're going to show the Kickstarter. And we just really want to let the community of cheese lovers know what we're about. Um, at this phase, you know, we're new. So, you know, um, we're but we're really focused on how we can be a part of the food community, um, you know, with a background in production like that is definitely a priority for me. Um, and, you know, just really have a have a great time, celebrate and let people know um, what we're doing. So if you like cheese, you like pairings. You like talking cheese and meeting people. <laughs> Like-minded cheese yeah. fans. That's what we'll be good for. How yeah. do we find out more about the party? How do people know um, where to go? Yeah, so if you go to cheesegrotto.brownpapertickets.com, um, then you can look and see there's a list of the um, sponsors that are on there, um, as well as a description of what's going to go down that evening. And the tickets are free? The tickets are free. The RSVP is free. Um, and really, when we get there, we just we want you to be inspired and we want you to be to be um, interested in contributing to what it is that we're doing. Sure. Um, and I think once once you see it and once you realize what the community that you are part of, I, I mean, and Kickstarter is built on small donations. It's not like people have to show up and give you ten thousand right. dollars. It's all about crowdsourcing. And you're yeah, doing definitely. you're doing a great job getting everybody into the same room. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So, yeah, we're looking Will you have alcohol? Will you lubricate them a little bit with alcohol? Oh, yes. Well, it is located at 61 Local. um, Oh, good. Which is a regional wine and beer bar. Um, So they're having a great special that evening um, for pairings with what we're offering, um, wine and beer. Um, So when you enter, there'll be, you know, a couple nice people walking around with some cheese samples there's going to be you know you can get the drinks at the bar and um upstairs in the mezzanine is where we're going to have the unveiling and the tasting so <laughs> awesome <laughs> cheese grotto dot brown paper bag tickets.com is oh, that brown paper ticket brown yeah. paper ti- cheese grotto <laughs> dot brown paper tickets.com i will put a link on sharpenhot.com for people who are listening to this as a podcast it, it will the party will be friday november 21st at what time it's from 7 to 10 p.m. From 7 to 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. Adam Schatz will be there performing with Landlady. Um, just himself, um, actually. He is a force to be reckoned yeah. with. He, <laughs> I don't know if you heard him perform on Sharp and Hot. They used our mic stands and like he had a looping machine, but they played glasses. I mean, they, he's he's an incredible, oh, yeah. incredible musician and performer. Yeah. He's great. I, I love him. I have to put this out there also. Adam Schatz emailed me and he's looking for a cafeteria to uh, film a music video in and yes. have a food fight. He oh, asked me that oh, too. Yeah, if yeah. listeners, if you happen to work in a school environment that's not going to be using their cafeteria between December 9th and 14th for a video shoot, Landlady wants to shoot a video where they are dressed up as lunch ladies and <laughs> have a food fight and they will clean everything up and I will be cooking the meatloaf and jello. <laughs> so, so if funny. you're out there and your school is available, we would love to talk to you. Email me, chefemily at sharpenhot.com. Thank you, Jack, for pointing that out. I completely meant to mention it and I had forgotten I am. I don't have any leads for him, but I'm hoping that somebody out there in the listening world does. Yeah, probably at the party. I feel like he's going to meet somebody. He'll meet yeah. somebody. <laughs> somebody told me a private school is going to be easier to get to their cafeteria than a public school too, mm-hmm. where you're going to have to sign all sorts of insurance waivers and things. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea, and I love that I will get to make 
jello that will be used in a music video food fight that just sounds like bucket list <laughs> material all right everybody thank you for listening to sharp and hot i am your host chef emily peterson i'm go i was going to tell you who's going to be on next week's show but um i need to confirm that so i'm going to throw that to Anne, my producer thank you so much for joining the pirate ship emily i'm really really thrilled to have you here with me so excited to be here awesome thank you to jack for engineering the show and until next week everybody keep playing with fire and knives <laughs> Shut Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.